Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Live from the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Quarantine completed, passengers leave the ship docked in Japan despite the coronavirus spread. Bloomberg buyer, the billionaire, says the campaign he will sell up if elected president. And I beg your pardon, President Trump pardoning junk bond king Mike Milken, among others. Is it only Wednesday? Yes, it is. Let's make a move. once again to a particularly stimulating first move this morning, or at least I'll try to. Uh, why? Well, the stimulus hopes in the air from China, from other places around the world too. I'll talk you through it. But first, take a look at what we're seeing right now for US futures. We do look to make some pretty good gains this morning. That, of course, follows Apple's spoiling sentiment with their revenue warning Tuesday, though we finished off the lows, and I do think that's important. The Nasdaq, in fact, managing to eke out a fresh record high, even if the rally that we're seeing here is with described on the show, narrower and more defensive. Apple, though, actually could lend some support today. We're higher by around five-tenths of one percent pre-market. That follows yesterday's two percent drop. What about Europe? Well, markets are higher there, too. Italian stocks, in fact, hitting their best levels in over a decade. Asia stocks, meanwhile, a bit mixed. China eased back a little bit. The Nikkei, though, in Japan ending higher. Export data for January coming in less awful, let's call it that, than feared, still down some 2%. But I think the key today is that we seem to be seeing some thinking outside of the ordinary stimulus box or toolkit. There are reports that China is considering cash bailouts for the airline industry. Also, China announcing new support for businesses there, too. Chinese firms able to raise cheap cash through government-supported so-called coronavirus bonds. And they aren't alone. Turkey cutting interest rates today. The South Korean president calling for emergency steps to support their economy. Singapore has also unveiled a $4 billion-plus stimulus package, too. Meanwhile, we've got a whole slew of Federal Reserve officials speaking today, so watch for their views specifically on the outbreak and perhaps the need for further economic support here. Let's get to the drivers, because we do begin once again with the latest on the coronavirus outbreak. More than 2,000 people now known to have died as a result of the outbreak. President Xi says progress is being made to stem the epidemic, but Beijing has expelled Wall Street Journal reporters over an opinion piece wrote that they wrote calling China the sick man of Asia. 
None of the journalists being expelled were the actual authors, in fact, of that opinion piece. The other big developments this morning, passengers have begun disembarking from the Diamond Princess. The cruise ship had the largest concentration of coronavirus cases outside of China. Matt Rivers is in Yokohama for us, uh, Matt, on this story. Great to have you with us. There were criticisms all the way along that the quarantine efforts being made aboard this cruise ship simply weren't working given the spread of the virus, but some alarming suggestion about how the passengers were disembarking and using public transport and taxis and things. Talk us through what we saw. Yeah, well, I mean, basically what's happening here, Julia, is, is this is the Japanese government holding to the line that they believe that the quarantine measures that they've undertaken on board the ship since February 3rd are working. They looked to these new cases and we got, saw another 79 positive, identif- um, positive diagnoses today for the coronavirus on board this ship amongst passengers. But they say that these new cases are not being spread post-quarantine. They say that anybody has, that has a new infection, well, they picked it up before the quarantine started uh, and it just took a while to manifest. Now, there's a lot of outside experts and there's a lot of passengers that are quite skeptical of that. And yet you continue to see Japan say, no, we are holding to this line to the point. They're so confident in it that they are letting people off this ship. 800 people tested negative for the coronavirus earlier, uh, you know, over the last couple of days. None of them presented any symptoms as they got off the ship today. And so they took taxis, they took buses, uh, they took private cars and they went home. And that's what we're going to see over the next couple of days. Now, Julia, we did have a chance to speak exclusively uh, with the CEO and president of Princess Cruise Lines. Uh, that would be the, the ship's operator here, Jan Swartz. Uh, and she basically says uh, we, we had a chance to ask her about the worries of passengers and experts about uh, what Japan is doing here. Here's what, here's what she had to say. What I can say is today, as our guests disembarked, um, they had tested negative for coronavirus. They had a health check right before they got off. They had a thermal screening. And the Japanese Ministry of Health issued them a certificate saying that they had tested negative for coronavirus. So I would um, just defer those types of questions to the Japanese Ministry of Health who have been in charge. On a human level, though, you can understand the concerns. If you put yourself in the shoes of those passengers, you can understand why some people may feel that way or they might feel uncomfortable. I think on a human level, right, this is an unprecedented situation. I mean, nobody going on vacation thinks that they're going to be notified in the last days that they've got an extension of 14 days and they're not going to be allowed to live and leave their cabin. So our heart breaks for everybody who um, experienced this situation. Look, what she's saying here essentially is, is, you know, the Diamond Princess staff is doing what they can to make the people on board comfortable in a tough situation. But ultimately, you know, they're a private company that have to operate by Japanese regulations here, Japanese law. So even if they wanted to do something different, they can't. They have to do what Japan's health ministry tells them because they're currently in a Japanese harbor. They don't really have a choice here. Uh, and, and so they're going to keep doing that. They're hoping for the best. They're working with Japan's health ministry. But from all indications, Julia, so far that we've seen, Japan's government is going to continue to hold this line and do what they've been doing. And we're going to see all of these passengers get off this ship, uh, you know, in the next couple of days. Yeah, we're just suffering from a, a broader lack of information here amid these concerns, Matt. But the standout word for me there was guest. These people don't feel like guests anymore. They think they feel like prisoners. So um, 
palpable relief, I'm sure, for many of them. Matt Rivers, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for that update there. Let's move on to our next driver. The EU is unveiling the shape of its digital future, drawing up policies regarding the use of things like artificial intelligence, keeping trust apparently at the heart of it. Anna Stewart joins us now. Anna, trust in technology critical, but these plans do sound ambitious. What more do we know? So the EU's launched two big publications today, both with terribly boring names. We have the white paper on artificial intelligence and we have the European data strategy proposals. Now, these are both starting points for how the EU wants to see uh, the future digital market and regulation on it. Both are, thankfully, Julia, far more interesting than their names suggest. Now, on the AI side of things, they're looking at ways that AI can benefit all sorts of different sectors and businesses, but also, of course, addressing the risks and challenges associated with it. And so to pull out one of the more interesting bits, facial recognition, they're going to start a debate on when and how it should be used. For instance, in a public space, should it be used uh, for public interest and what level should that public interest be? The most explosive announcement of the whole lot, though, was actually on the digital uh, strategy side of things and data sharing, because this felt and it felt like this, a swipe at American tech firms. Essentially, they're saying that non-personal data that can be useful for various industries and businesses should be shared. It should not be held by any large tech firm. It should be available to all. They've said it should be available to all, whether public, private, startup, or giant. Now, it's just a proposal. So they haven't said how they plan to force big tech giants who hold this data and protect it. They don't say how they plan to do this in the future or, of course, when, of course, this will be implemented. Um, but I would say, actually, in the press conference, Thierry Breton, who's the commissioner for digital, did discuss the fact that they've already lost, the EU's already lost the first battle for personal data to these big American tech firms. He says this is the second battle, the battle for industry data. And he says Europe is the battlefield. Julia? Wow. It's going to be fascinating to see what they do with that. And I would agree, actually, Europe is the battlefield because the Europeans, particularly compared to the likes of the Chinese and the United States, have always been on the front foot, whether it's antitrust, whether it's data privacy and breaches specifically. And actually, in other countries, we've benefited from the demands that the EU has made. This looks like the EU leading the way again here. Yeah, once again, and I think we saw that very much with GDPR in 2018, protecting right. you know European citizens' use of their personal data to a great groan, of course, from corporates that operate in Europe all over the world. Um, there are, of course, as you mentioned, those big antitrust fines as well, and the EU certainly slapped plenty of those on major tech firms. And that was something that was referenced today because slapping fines on a major company like Google or Amazon certainly gives them a penalty. But the market could already be altered. Market share could already be taken, and it's very hard to sort of address that situation. So Margaret Vestager, the antitrust commissioner, also speaking in the press conference, said that part of this will be about preventing that from happening in the first place. If data can be shared, perhaps these big, giant tech companies can't actually get that market share in the first place. Highly controversial. I'll be interested to see what the tech firms say themselves. And of course, perhaps we'll get a response from the White House as well. Julia? Yes. Precision regulation. I'm sure they'll turn around and say, Europe, this is why you don't have big tech giants, because you <laughs> regulate them to kingdom come, quite frankly. Anna Stewart, thank you so much for that. Great job.
All right, let's move on to our next driver and to the 2020 White House race. Billionaire Mike Bloomberg seeking the Democratic presidential nomination would sell his company if he's elected in November. His campaign advisor telling CNN there will be no confusion about any of his financial holdings, blurring the line between public service and personal profiteering. Bloomberg, of course, set to appear in his first Democratic debate tonight. And Christine Romans has more. Ooh, it couldn't have been more pointed perhaps to the not quite so arm's length perhaps relationship between uh, President Trump and uh, the Trump business dealings. Um, Who's going to buy Bloomberg? That's my other question here. What do you you make of all of this? And how much would it be worth? I mean, you had some estimates this morning saying it could be worth something like $60 billion. Would they be able to find a buyer? But look, that's all that's all in the future here. And the point the point of this statement from the the campaign is that they want to be 180 degrees away from Donald Trump and his family. They never want to be in a situation where it looks as if uh, Michael Bloomberg is profiting uh, from the presidency. So going back to those old days, remember Jimmy Carter sold his family's peanut farm. Donald Trump did not defest of his uh, company. In fact, his kids are running it. And every time a foreign leader comes to Washington or New York or someplace where he has a, a resort, they stay there. And the allegation is that the Trump family profits from the notoriety and the position of the president of the United States. Um, look, we're going to probably hear about this tonight, maybe on the on the debate stage when we will hear Michael Bloomberg for the first time uh, on this very public national debate stage for the president of the United States. It's a it's a place he hasn't been before. You know, he hasn't done a lot of interviews. He's been able to manage with his multiple millions of dollars, manage the conversation through a very well done television ads. Now he will be asked questions and have to act like the other uh, candidates on the debate stage tonight. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing as well, in just in terms of policy, is is he just going to be another player for this centre-left, centre-ground that the likes of Klobuchar, Buttigieg, Biden are fighting over here? Or does he present something else and can he unite them? He announced his fixing finance plans yesterday, among some of his other policies here. What do we make of those, Christine? Where it on the looks, spectrum is he? <laughs> it looks like attack to the left. I think you're absolutely right. It's a little bit of attack to the left. He is still solidly here in the middle of the pack. I mean, he is he is trying to hold that middle ground there with Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, and a few others, and Joe Biden. But uh, this is attack to the left. He's talking about transaction tax. I mean, there are a couple of Wall Street analysts this morning. They were like, hey, what about the Wall Street's not going to have any problem with Michael Bloomberg theory? That's maybe gone after uh, yesterday. Uh, but this is still, you know, the primary season. This is still trying to find uh, the Democratic uh, nominee. So which Michael Bloomberg will we get here? He's a very, you know, long seen as a pro-business guy. He knows how the business, how business works. But he's also uh, very concerned about climate change. He's concerned about gun violence. And he spent a lot of money and built a lot of deep ties in Democratic communities and, and, and in, in, in uh, cities and municipalities on these issues. So he has ground game on those uh, center left issues uh, on the financial stuff. We'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Christine Romans, thank you so much for joining us on that story. And sticking, actually, with the White House, because President Trump issued an array of pardons on Tuesday. Mike Milken, the former investment banker known as the junk bond king, was pardoned along with several others. Paula Monica joins us on this story. This is a fascinating one. Paul, for me, because many people have been pushing for this decades in the making, we can call it. He revolutionized access to credit for young companies, entrepreneurs back in the 80s with this particular market. And then it sort of all went wrong. What do we make of this decision by President Trump today? 
Yeah, as you pointed out, obviously uh, Milken is the so-called junk bond king, really symbolizing that 80s greed is good sort of era that we then saw in the movie Wall Street with Michael Douglas. I think, though, that the issue was obviously he went to jail and served a little less than two years of a 10-year term for securities violations. But his second act, Milken has been a major philanthropist with a lot of donations to cancer charities. He himself is a prostate cancer survivor. And I think a lot of people feel that Milken has done much good in the past couple of years and has really reformed his image, of course. And that was one of the reasons why President Trump was willing to pardon him. I think there were a lot of people, including Rudy Giuliani, in the inner circle of the White House who led the prosecution against Milken when he was an attorney in the late 80s, that he felt that Milken deserves this. And I think a lot of people do agree that this was a, a good move on the part of President Trump. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating one. I mean, pushing money into charities, looking at research into things like melanoma and prostate cancer in particular. I mean, these are some of the things that, that spark up here. The Wall Street Journal today is well coming out and saying, look, we know this is controversial, but we think this is the right decision too. When we look at what happened here, do we think this is about money or simply just doing the right thing with someone who's done great good with their life and, and served their time? Yeah, I think in this particular case, it probably is about being someone who has admitted his guilt and served his time and has reformed himself and gone above and beyond that. So I think that's really what's at play here. Obviously, a lot of the other pardons are far more uh, controversial uh, politically, but I don't think you're going to see as much ill will towards Milken getting pardoned as what happened with, say, Blagojevich and DeBartolo and Bernie Carrick. Yes, take each case individually. Paula Monica, thank you so much for joining us on that story. All right, let me bring you up to speed now with some of the other stories that we are following around the world. U.S. Attorney General William Barr is ready to call it quits. That, according to sources, Barr is considering resigning after President Trump ignored his pleas to stop interfering with Justice Department matters. Barr said the president's tweets attacking law enforcement are making it impossible for him to do his job. The U.S. Secretary of State says America is prepared to talk with Iran only if they change their behavior fundamentally, quote. Mike Pompeo was speaking on board his flight to the Saudi Arabian capital, Riyadh, for talks with the Saudi foreign minister. He will also be visiting Oman. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex may not be able to hang on to the term royal for much longer. The use of the word in their branding is under review. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle planned on generating income through their Sussex Royal brand as they work to become financially independent. I'm not really sure how much of that matters. All right, we're going to take a break. Coming up on First Move, some out-of-this-world returns for Virgin Galactic shareholders. What got them stratospherically excited? Find out next. Meanwhile, stop on the ground. As Boeing does its best to get the 737 MAX flying, now there's another problem with the plane. Stay with us. More to come. Welcome back to First Move, where stocks look set to open in the green in this morning session. For all the volatility, in fact, stocks are still on track for their best month since June of last year. Bit of a different story, though, in the bond market. Look at 10-year yields in the United States. We are 
what, around 1.57%, but the 10-year and the three-month yields have inverted. So that means the three-month going above the 10-year once again in the past. Not always, but it has been a recessionary signal. We're also keeping an eye on Argentina today. Debt restructuring talks with the IMF are set to end. In a worst-case scenario, are we looking at another Argentinian default, the first since 2014? We'll keep an eye on that. Lots to discuss. Christina Hooper joins us now. She is the Chief Global Market Strategist for Invesco. Great to have you with Great us. Great to be here. I actually want to talk about coronavirus. You said the floodgates have opened Apple in the last 24 hours. We had Adidas, Puma in the European session all saying this is going to have an impact on the numbers. Oh, absolutely. Last week we had Alibaba's head talk about how it is a black swan yes. event. Um, Tesla's warning about it as well. So we're starting to see an impact on or expectations of an impact on earnings. When do we start to perhaps price that to a greater degree? Because we've seen it hit specific sectors, transport, the airline sector in particular. Investors are focused on those specifically versus perhaps those with bigger supply chains. I mean, Apple, 2% drop, it's not much. Well, it's not much, but I think it's also important to recognize that this is likely to be a short-term phenomenon. Okay. And so that's what markets are really pricing in, is this expectation that, yes, we have a difficult quarter and then we move beyond it. So actually, I think the reaction has been relatively appropriate. So it's back to the V-shaped recovery at some point in future quarters, perhaps. Uh, it could be a bit more uh, like a, a U for a little while, okay. um, but I do expect there to be a nice snapback as soon as we see some level of stabilization of the coronavirus. Because keep in mind, we did have a lot of positive sentiment just as coronavirus was emerging because of the U.S.-China phase one trade deal. That's an important point to make. Also, and we've talked about it many times on the show, 60% of the world's central banks are also stimulating. And I do think, and we made the point at the top of the show today, that there is a belief here that China will continue to stimulate, the Federal Reserve stands ready to do something. What's the likelihood of an insurance rate cut from the Federal Reserve here? I think there's a very good chance of an insurance rate cut if the situation deteriorates. Keep in mind that the Fed thinks of itself as the world's central banker. So it doesn't necessarily have to significantly impact the U.S. economy. If it impacts the Chinese economy and is impacting the global economy, that may be enough. This is just a, you know, we have to think of 2019 as a very significant about face for the Fed, where it really started to uh, change its mindset and create something of, of an expectation of, of a safety net. And I think that continues to this day. Do you think the U.S. consumer, though, and we had this discussion on the show yesterday, actually benefits in some way from lower energy prices, lower mortgage rates? the prospect perhaps of, of stimulus from the Federal Reserve, if indeed required. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, this is an environment that could be very good for the U.S. consumer, given uh, that oil prices should continue to come down, given that we should see rates come down in this environment. Uh, it would be an added kicker, of course, if the Fed cut rates as well. Also an added kicker and supportive perhaps of President Trump's uh, political ambitions as well. We've talked in many times about the importance of the U.S. economy heading into that election. How many questions are you getting from clients about Bernie Sanders? Because my belief is we're sort of writing him off. Wall Street's writing him off. They think Trump wins. There's also the Bloomberg dynamic, perhaps. What are you saying to clients right now? 
Well, I think you're absolutely right. I think the markets are overlooking it, and we're not hearing a lot from clients about this right now. But I have been warning that if we get a few high-profile primary wins by Bernie Sanders, that might change the dynamic and cause investors to get nervous. I do think it could result in some very short-term sell-offs, particularly in specific sectors that we expect uh, to be more highly regulated. But in general, it could create a sell-off in the S&P 500. And Mike Bloomberg? I think that markets right now are assuming that Michael Bloomberg is the backstop for Bernie Sanders. And so they're proceeding with this assumption that Trump wins, but in the off chance that he doesn't, that the Democratic nominee would be Michael Bloomberg. And very quickly, you said a potential market sell-off in the case of Bernie Sanders. Difficult to predict. We did that with President Trump as well. What kind of sell-off are we talking about, and would it be a buying opportunity? Well, I think that any time we see a sell-off, just given the policy drop backdrop, which is so supportive of risk right. assets, any kind of sell-off uh, can be a buying opportunity for investors because they're hard to come by. Um, and we see rebounds so quickly. And I would expect uh, some market jitters if, if Bernie Sanders continues to accumulate delegates mm -hmm. and has any kind of high-profile primary wins. There are no bears in this market. Exactly. <laughs> Christina, we've got to wrap it up. We'll get you back. Christina Hooper. Chief Global Market Strategist at Invesco. The market opens next. We're back after this. from the New York Stock Exchange and the opening bell this morning marking the halfway point of the week. We've got a higher open tech stocks, in fact, making fresh record highs. We've got green across the board in Europe, broader stimulus hopes, and not only, of course, in China, but beyond, including in the region. We'll also uh, hear what Fed officials, Federal Reserve officials, have to say about the economy and the prospects, perhaps, for more support going forward. We've got five members of the board set to speak today the global movers. Let me walk you through those. Apple shares are higher, bouncing back from the 2% losses suffered on Tuesday following that revenue warning. Coronavirus related, of course. Tesla shares also higher. Analysts at Piper Sandler raising their 12-month price target on Tesla to $928 a share, the most aggressive target on Wall Street so far, if you take out ARK Invest, of course, which is stratospherically higher. Groupon shares under pressure this morning, the discount deal company reporting weaker than expected profits and revenues. It says it will stop selling merchandise on its site because of the fiercely competitive marketplace. It will now focus on selling experiences like dancing lessons and wine tasting. Boeing today also in focus. The company admitting it found debris in fuel tanks of undelivered 737 MAX jets, the head of the program for the 737, calling it, quote, absolutely unacceptable. Claire Sebastian has all the details. What do we know about this, Claire? When I saw this story, I was um, quite frankly disbelieving. Does this mean debris left in the production process for some of these planes? 
That is exactly how it sounds, Julia. These are planes that are currently in storage. Don't forget, uh, throughout this grounding, which has now been almost a year, uh, Boeing has continued to produce these planes and it's had to store them, uh, you know, in, in parking lots and, and various other locations. It says it found uh, the debris during maintenance. It says it's conducting a robust internal investigation. It's taking corrective action uh, in, its, uh, in its production system. But here's the quote from Mark Jenks, who's the VP and general manager of the 737 program. He says, we're taking action after a range of foreign object debris, FOD it's called, was recently found in the fuel tanks of several 737 MAX airplanes in storage. Note, they don't say how many. FOD is absolutely unacceptable, he says. One escape is too many. With your help and focus, we will eliminate FOD from our production system. That's a note uh, to employees at the Renton, Washington plant. Now, bearing in mind, there are around 400 of those planes uh, that are in storage, so inspecting them all will be a big job. Now, they haven't said if this will push out the timeline for returning the 737 MAX to service. The latest we heard from the company is they expect to get approval uh, around mid-year, whatever that means. The uh, U.S. airlines, though, have pushed out flights to August or September. They don't expect to have the plane back in service during the summer flying season. But this, Julia, definitely not the kind of look that, that Boeing needs and will lead to further questions uh, about you know their production system in general and, and what else is out there. This isn't the first time the company has faced issues with this sort of foreign object debris on planes. Yeah, and you raise so many great points there. For me, recertification is one thing. Trust from consumers is entirely another as these problems stack up. One thing I did notice, and it was my second thought when I read this story, different in terms of communication. Program managers straight out and saying, look, this is unacceptable. We're tackling it. We're going to address it. Different communication strategy already, I feel, from Boeing under a new CEO. Yeah, and we're hearing about this directly from Boeing. This is clearly part of right. the strategy, Julia. David Calhoun in the job for, I think, just over a month now. Uh, is is he, he came in on the promise that this would be a new era of transparency. And clearly, uh, if they can't deliver on, on ending these, these issues that they have with the, with the plane that keep coming to light as, as the grounding continues, they can at least deliver on that promise of transparency, of getting out ahead of leaks, ahead of whistleblowers, you know, hearing it directly from Boeing rather than the regulators. That, I think, is critical, but but this just adds to the challenges the company faces. Don't forget, this is the second uh, issue that's come to light this month. Just a couple of weeks ago, there was another software fix that was discovered during during flight testing uh, of the 737 Max. So, so there's a lot that the company is grappling with, and still we're approaching the the anniversary now of Ethiopia Airlines Flight 302, that crash in March last year, and still no approval for the plane to fly again. Yeah, I remember the conversation I had with Emirates, and I said they can't get this wrong, and he said. The chairman said, "You've got to. They're going to get this right. They have to get this right. <sighs> Trust." Claire Sebastian, thank you so much. All right, shares of Virgin Galactic soaring. The stock up around 160% so far this year. Investors seemingly getting excited over plans to launch a commercial space service. Matt Egan joins us now. Matt, what do we know about this commercial space service? And investors clearly delighted, but it's really the only way to take risk in this sector. Well, Julie, we know that this stock appears to be defying the laws of physics. It's up eight days in a row, up double-digit percentage again today. It's basically tripled since the end of last year, uh, which is really just a stunning move. And as you mentioned, it's really benefiting from the fact that if you are bullish on space tourism, this is really the only pure play for that trend. And investors are getting understandably excited about Virgin's progress trying 
to launch passengers into space. Uh, this is definitely an exciting place. But, you know, it is probably time to tap the brakes a little bit on this stock. Um, they haven't even reported results since they went public through that merger <laughs> with a special acquisition company um, last year. We know that they're not making money. Uh, they don't expect to make any money. Uh, Virgin is supposed to be reporting results next week, so we'll have to listen to what they say. But what's really interesting, Julie, is that even some Virgin bulls are sounding a little bit nervous about this meteoric rise. Just look at what Morgan Stanley analyst Adam Jonas said in a report just yesterday. Morgan Stanley said that they are very constructive on Virgin Galactic story. And they said that the company has a pole position in space tourism. They, they, they could use that to potentially fund even bigger projects. But Morgan Stanley said they think that the share price could use a breather. Now, again, this is from a virgin bull, and that's because this stock has already blown by Morgan Stanley's $22 price target. It's now trading at $30 and above that. Uh, so there is some nervousness even from some of the optimists. Uh, Julia, we should definitely keep an eye on this stock because eventually gravity should catch up to it. You know, it reminds me of Beyond Meat and the stratospheric rise that we saw after the IPO of that one and analysts coming out and saying, yeah, it's not that we don't like the story, we're just a bit concerned about how quickly this stock's risen. I wonder though, given what we were saying earlier about this being really the only way to take risk if you want to as, a, as an investor in this space, does this entice the likes of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk to spin off their space divisions and, and monetize those? Well, Julie, you mentioned uh, Beyond Meat. I mean, it does kind of feel like there's been more of these one-stock manias lately. There was the boom and bust of Beyond Meat, the rise and fall of the cannabis company Tilray. Uh, Tesla is still enjoying this incredible rally. Um, you sort of wonder if this is um, at all a byproduct of all that easy money sloshing around uh, from global central banks. Um, but it is interesting to see. Um, and you mentioned these other space companies. I mean, if you are Elon Musk, or Jeff Bezos, you've got to be drooling when you see uh, these moves for Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic. Maybe they will uh, try to take those companies public. But I got to think that the clock is ticking on this a little bit. Um, If they're going to make a move like that, they want to do it when the economy is sturdy like it is now. And they want to do it uh, when it's basically free to borrow money right now. Yes, great points. Matt Egan, great to have you with us. Now, we're going to take a quick break. We're going from destination space to destination zero. Carmega Jaguar Land Rover says its mission is to get to zero emissions, zero accidents, and zero congestion. That conversation after this break. Welcome back to First Move. Jaguar Land Rover unveiling a new electric concept vehicle vector at the opening of the UK's National Automotive Innovation Centre. The car is designed to provide autonomous rides in urban areas with zero emissions. I spoke to the company's CEO about the futuristic vehicle as well as the impact of the coronavirus on the company's business. Vector is something very special, creating a new kind of mobility, creating something which is very space-efficient. On the other hand, zero emission and can be really then also charged uh, by renewable energy and uh, with fast chargers and delivers individual public mobility. And it's autonomous ready. 
it goes in the uh, direction to integrate infrastructure and the car. They speak to each other and make sure that at the end of the day we get a high safety and security in order to deliver a new modern smart mobility. What kind of cost are we talking about for this and, and how soon do you think we could see these kind of vehicles on the roads? We will have these kind of vehicles with the first prototypes on the road within the next two years. We are advanced, we have got the technology, uh, we are also working together as partners in order to make sure that we have the latest technology and really are fit for the purpose. That is also the reason why we didn't come out immediately, kept it in the drawer and opened the drawer just today. You know, it's interesting. I was looking on your website uh, with regards destination zero, and we're talking zero emissions, zero accidents, and, and zero congestion. And the numbers for me on accidents were mind-boggling. 1.3 million people dying globally as a result of cars each year. You make the comparison to it being like eight jumbo jets crashing every single day. We don't focus enough on safety on the roads and the benefits perhaps that autonomous technology could bring. Does there need to be more government focus, government investment in this, not just from the automakers? Yeah, you're totally right. At the end of the day, no car company can do this kind of um, destination zero on its own. We need to have collaboration. We have to have government, regional leaders, academia and industry across sectors together in order to make it happen. I want to ask you about the impact, at least in the short term, of the coronavirus outbreak. What does this mean for the supply chains that you have right now and the potential impact on demand? What are you seeing? Yeah, uh, at the moment we are seeing uh, uh, absolutely different picture. First of all, uh, you mentioned demand. There are no sales at the very moment in China. Dealers are not back and there's no demand. So that will be a, a, a huge impact, but we don't know how long it will take. So we cannot give you any, uh, let's say, prognosis or the forecast. We have so much good in swing. Our team delivered until the day 28 last month, over and above the target and all of a sudden there's nothing anymore, so that's strange. From a supply point of view, we have to feed both the factory in China but as well the factories in Europe. At the moment we are safe for two weeks in Europe. We are going to start the production in China next week on Monday and we are safe for one week. The rest nobody knows at the very moment because nobody knows how long a government will also close the regions how long it will take that also the tier two tier three and t4 suppliers will come back on stream so we don't know what kind of parts will be in short supply the ceo of jaguar land rover there and a look at today's boardroom brief adidas says the coronavirus has had a huge impact on its business in china Activity there is down 85% according to the German sportswear company. It also said it's seeing declines in Japan and in South Korea. And Adidas's rival Puma also says the virus is hurting the bottom line there. They said the travel restrictions in effect in China are impacting their business with fewer Chinese tourists going abroad. Sales are suffering in other markets too. 
Qatar Airways is increasing its stake in IAG, the company that owns British Airways. It paid around $600 million to raise its shareholding from 21 to 25 percent. Last month, AIG loosened its restrictions on the proportion of its shares that non-EU entities can own. Okay, let's take a quick break here. But the life of a freelancer is fraught with dangers. Often it boils down to feast or famine. After the break, how Fiverr is putting work in their hands. Stay with us. We're back in two. Welcome back to First Move. Fiverr is one of those gig economy brands we keep hearing about. It's billed as the everything store for digital services. In other words, it's a marketplace for freelancers offering their labor. Its marketing plays heavily on low cost, high convenience. Check it out. Maybe simplicity just isn't for you. So you'll find yourself in that overpriced boutique studio that charges triple for the same gig and think to yourself, well, at least they gave me a tiny branded water bottle because you know how important it is to keep hydrated. <laughs> Uh, no, not everything is a fiver. Sellers set out their terms and their fees up front. Services offered include writing, graphic design, digital marketing, video and animation. Mika Kaufman is the co-founder and CEO of Fiverr and joins us now. Great to have you with us. Good morning, Julia. That, that lady was very excitable. I can do it. <laughs> borderline scary. Um, your numbers were out this morning and they look pretty good. Just talk us through your quarter because I know it's early days, you're investing money, but Absolutely. investors are liking what they're seeing. So we had, a, we had an amazing quarter, yeah. which, is a, which is a great ending for the year. We've seen an amazing momentum starting with the uh, first half of the year, accelerating through the second half of the year. And we're actually seeing that momentum carried into 2020, which makes us very excited about the year and has uh, influenced uh, our goals for this year, uh, which are exceeding market expectations. You're loss making. Target on profitability, does it matter? It does, obviously, it does. Um, the way we think about it is we're a young company with a huge market, so we're prioritizing growth, but we're doing it in a way that increases the efficiency of everything we do, and you see that in the massive improvement of our EBITDA margins and the, the loss of the company, which are very small and shrinking. Next year? This year? And then we'll move on. I'm not giving a date. <laughs> yeah, but I have to try. Um, one of the things that's interesting to me, firstly, that the sellers... Of, of their skills set the price up front so there's no fear factor on that this is a project that's going to escalate and I don't know what the end game here in terms of price is going to be but the average spend actually is relatively low it's around hundred and seventy dollars mm -hmm. per person whenever look at a competitor like Upwork it's like a thousand dollars why the difference so, so basically the, the, the two companies are very different and are targeting very different types of audiences um, Fiverr uh, targeted mostly the what we call the zero to enterprise. We don't have a sales force, which is a great plus. Uh, for us, the majority of our traffic actually comes organically, which is, which is great. So these are different uh, types of, uh, of businesses. That said, I think that the low spend per buyer is the opportunity. The fact that we can actually grow that, and, and you see that constant growth throughout quarters, um, so this has definitely been a tailwind and, and accelerating. $163 last time now, the average spend is $170. Where do you see that going? Oh, so basically, as you think about um, the more established business, the medium-sized businesses, they spend $15,000 a year on freelancers. So the, um, you know, the, the room to grow is just amazing. Do you think you can capture, how much of that do you think you can capture? Because that's for all sorts of services, not just the sort of digital and the... 
the that, video. That is correct. But when, when we look at just the categories in which we operate, the addressable market for that in the U.S. alone is $100 billion. Wow. EU is one and a half times bigger than the U.S., so there is there's so much room to grow. You're also introducing AI into the process, right. too. We went on the website to look at First Move with Julia Chesley. We have some examples of, of what I came up with. It takes your own inputs. I think I had pink and sparkly. Yeah, it ignored <laughs> me on most of those. <laughs> not sure what we think of those. But talk to me about AI as well, because you're trying to make the process simpler and facilitate the use of it. I wonder whether you're kind of doing your uh, sellers out of a job here, perhaps, too, if computers can do it better. Absolutely not. So what we're doing, and I think that this is, this is probably one of the first times that a company is doing that, is we're not trying to replace the human factor. We're trying to complement on that. Okay. So the way we do it is we allow our creative community to design those logos, but we use AI to uh, make sure that those logos are being customized for customers. And that takes a lot of the work of customization from our freelancers. So essentially what we're doing is we're uh, using AI to their benefit instead of trying to replace them. I know you're expanding globally as well. You've right. set up in Germany as well. What do you think the big challenge is going to be as part of that? Is it about hiring people? Is it about fast expanding? Many companies struggle with just simply hiring the right people at this expansion stage. Right. So the, the good news for us is that we don't need to hire many people to run the uh, global operations. What we've done is we've actually started testing in Germany of what does it take to uh, increase the, the uh, rate of growth of Germany. Yeah. Um, and we've done it very successfully through soft localization and um, investing a little bit in marketing in, in Germany. And we've seen Germany right now growing much faster than the overall market base, which is great. And what we've done recently is we launched two new languages German and Spanish, and we're going to roll out more languages as, as we go. And we think that together with some uh, brand marketing and performance marketing done in these countries, we'll be able to increase the, the penetration rate in, in these areas. We're helping you with that too. The PR and the marketing. Yeah. <laughs> can great to have you on the show. Thank you so Thank much. You so the CEO of Fiverr there. Come back and talk to us soon. All right. That just about wraps up the show. Let me give you a look at what we're seeing as far as uh, market action is concerned. We are high right now. The Nasdaq hitting fresh record highs, of course, too. As you can see there as well, the Dow higher by uh, some three-tenths of 1%. Can we hang on to these gains? Stimulus hopes, as I was discussing earlier on in the show. Okay, we'll be back in a couple of hours' time with The Express. But for now, you've been watching First Move. Time to go make yours. I'm going to go and work on my uh, you know, website design. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 